0: if you have strong ties within your own community if you are proud of your own community if you feel like you guys have a strong identity then you can go into another space and say hey i already know who i am i know where i align with you and i know where i disagree with you and you get to dictate things more on your own terms i feel like predatory inclusion is like keeping you in the mindset of you're lucky to be here think these thoughts act this way if you keep doing the right thing maybe we'll move you up if you keep listening to what they tell you about like why you're here, what you're good at, what you deserve, how you should move this way or that way then I think that contributes to the idea of a bamboo ceiling. And I think the way to counteract that is to build strong ties between yourself, the people around you, whether they're Asian or otherwise, just strong ties with your people. And with that mindset, you don't walk into any space and say, oh, thank you for having me. You're including me. Now, what can I do for you? To see it more as an equal exchange. Let's help each other from a place of power rather than a place of subservience.
1: You're listening to the Big Asian Energy Show, where every week we interview Asian experts, move makers, and ceiling breakers to uncover their secrets of success so we can help you reach your greatest potential. I'm your host, John Wang. Let's dive in. Welcome to Big Asian Energy Today. I get the honor of speaking to three guests that I'm so excited about I have Ian here, Millie, and Dan. These three guys have made an incredible film and they are pushing narrative on Asian-Americans everywhere. Ian is the executive producer of Nourish Creative, which is a story design studio. And he is the former creative director of Jubilee, where he led a creative team to garner over a billion views and more than 5 million subscribers in just under three years. Some of YouTube's most viral and world trending shows. and if you're part of our community chances are pretty good that you've probably seen some of his work. He's also the former chief creative mind of mindset at Dive Studios where he was writing, producing and directing for world-class celebrities including Eric Nam and you know Summer Walker and go to check out the notes because I can't say all of them without taking up most of today's meeting. He's also written, directed, editor work for Fortune 500 companies like Apple, Nike, NASA, and so many more. And his piece, Ode to the World Stories, actually won gold at the final national round and American Advertising Award. I'm also talking here today with Dan, who is a director and documentary filmmaker in LA who tells stories about outsiders finding their way in life. His work was featured in Vimeo's staff picks, Shorts of the Week in a slam Dance Film Festival and most recently in the Tribeca Festival where he premiered his documentary per de- debut accepted to critical acclaim and finally we have Millicent Cho is a writer, director and producer of independent films her ideas have always been around the fantasy lives of women their dreams their desires and their worst nightmares she's a graduate with the MFA program from the filmmaking at NYU and got a grant from the Hollywood Foreign Press Association for her thesis short which premiered at the Palm Spring International Short Fest and was an official selection for New York Shorts International National Film Fest. She's done a ton of work and her work has been screened in South by Southwest, Tribeca Film, LA Short Fest, New Filmmakers and others. Like I said, incredible background. Thank you guys so much for being here today. How are you guys? I'm honored to be here. And before we started recording this,
2: you were mentioning how struck you were by the film. And yeah, I just want to give kudos to Millie and Dan and all the other folks who've made it happen as well because I think it was a collective effort but yeah what an honor
1: oh what an honor indeed speaking of the film okay so I watched it this morning can I just get you guys to describe it for the people here yeah the film is called I'm not an activist and it
0: follows a dragon combat club in New York City and the people in the community around them as they grapple with the surge of anti-Asian violence in the city and it's about their grassroots efforts to essentially fight back and take back the idea of community, the idea of safety, personal safety, public safety, and just owning that and not being apologetic about fighting for your own personal space and your own sense of safety. I think there was one media outlet from what I heard that did cover Dragon Combat Club, but they made them look like what they say, aesthetic Asian activism or kind of violent.
1: But there was we two. Wanna...
0: One, one kind of lumped them in with like performative activism saying, oh, it's really cool to like film yourselves handing out pepper spray and walking old folks through the subway. But that's not real activism. Real activism is what these people do over here. And I just felt like that categorization of what's helpful was not helpful. <laughs> and then there was another article, I think, that actually profiled Dragon Combat Club. And this is actually how I ended up hearing about them. Because I first read that article and thought, This is interesting. These sound like interesting people, what they're doing. But then I learned more about how Dragon Combat Club felt mischaracterized by that article because there were some subtle intonations of them coming across as paranoid or hyper vigilant. And I think what we're doing is basic common sense when you look at what's happening. And, you know, we're just doing what we can contribute. Our skill set is this. We have a lot of combat training, a lot of self-defense, martial arts training. Why can't we provide that and not come off as fringe or strange? And so I just wanted to listen to their voices and hear about why they're doing what they're doing and make that attitude not as unusual. Like, why is that unusual? Why do we find the whole idea of defending ourselves strange or unconventional? I think that's a pretty basic thing.
1: Yeah, why was that a topic? And I'm assuming that's the meaning of the name I'm not an activist, right? Like it was a reference to that article that came out that was gatekeeping. This is what real work should be, which is a ridiculous concept. The title I think is meant to provoke
0: a conversation around what is helpful to your community? What is helpful to your society? I think activism can be gatekept for sure by organizations that are like, hey, we've been doing activist work. What you're doing over there is not activist work. And I think that's sometimes a silly distinction. And I think there's a character in the film, China Mac, who says, I'm just a man of my people. I'm just helping out. I'm not an activist. And I think that's also an interesting thing to say is I think there's like a noble like adjective. Like when you call yourself an activist, there's some element of I am being noble. I am being better than the average person doesn't care about these issues. But I think I like this realignment that China Mac is saying is I'm just helping out my people. And that should be a natural thing to do. So I edited the film and watching a lot of the interviews with
2: some folks there's a character named Vincent and he just talks about seeing a lot of these attacks happen and it doesn't make it past the local news and Mm -hmm. that no one's doing anything about it and so just out of a sense of responsibility he started offering his own teaching in his expertise in martial arts but he just says it's just like a very simple human fact that if you see people being attacked and people not standing up for those folks to step in and contribute where you can so I think we wanted to highlight that spirit as well because when you hear the name Dragon Combat Club automatically you think of fighting or violence but actually the first thing they teach is situational awareness and de-escalation and they continually emphasize that it's just a matter of getting people home safe and everyone has a right to feel safe and I don't think that's something that that's a really basic human right that I think maybe a lot of folks seem to be maybe over intellectualizing perhaps but it was just locals who were seeing a lot of attacks going on and people doing nothing about it and just decided to, hey, we should do something about it and hand out self-defense tools and teach people to yeah, be situationally aware. And if the worst comes to worst, then defend themselves physically, but hopefully it doesn't have to come to that. What
1: I'm hearing that. it mean, is that there's people in our Asian-American communities who, who like create this identity. Oh, We got to protect what this imagined Asian-American community is <laughs> from people who want to take advantage or, or exploit, for example, this imaginary group. But yes. their overprotectiveness actually actually ends up creating harm because it creates this idea that only certain voices and only certain type of help can be allowed. Is that a correct way of interpreting that?
3: Yeah, that's exactly it. As Ian was saying, over, over intellectualization of some of the problems. And one of the things I really appreciate about DCC is that they are really so community-minded.
1: Yeah. When I was watching the film, it struck me as this is something so simplistic and yes, so powerful. It's on the ground. It's literally grassroots. It's just literally a group of volunteers teaching something so incredibly basic, uh, you know your guys were talking about is situational awareness how to stand up for yourself how to get away from danger at a time I saw two things one Asian Americans were actively being attacked I had friends who were followed from subway station I had myself I had a guy come up to me push me spat on me call me a chink and then walk right by these were things happening not only to myself but so many people around me and yet all I was hearing was this very highbrow political discourse that almost seemed like it was just talk so when I watched your documentary what i felt was like oh my god this is something so simplistic and yes so needed so i'm almost a little shocked because i didn't realize the other side of the article or something like that i didn't i'm also a little shocked that there was pushback against something like that's my question where is this coming from is it like a crap bucket thing is it just no this is the way to do it i have a theory i have an idea i'm trying to
0: tease out which is a lot of where Asian Americans have gotten our like first footholds of I would guess like power or influence is in media, is in politics, is in academics for sure. And in these spaces, I think what Millie was talking about was like, you want to argue, you want to represent your community in this hypothetical, you want to represent your community as this abstract concept that needs help from the larger power, the larger, whether it be like Mm. the liberal power structure and how do you appeal best to the general liberal power structure at large? And some people also take the, how do I appeal to the conservative power structure at large? And I think what I find dissatisfying and perhaps ineffective about this method is that you're always appealing to someone else for your protection or for your personal gain. And what I found so powerful about what DC is doing is like what you're saying is like it's totally grassroots. They can walk into any store on the blocks they live in and they know all the people who work in those restaurants, who work in those shops and how many people who go online and have the right tweet or the right take about the latest attack or the latest event know the people in their community and actively do direct action towards making their community a better place. And so I think for me, it is about emphasizing Emphasizing, you know, people on the ground doing work in their own spaces more than it is and taking away from this kind of totally abstract, hyper political in the sense that it's all about having a certain opinion, either in the online space or the academic space. It's all about just emphasizing some basic human shit Mm -hmm. that we all deserve. We all deserve to feel safe and we all deserve to feel connected to each other. I'll be really honest, like
2: actually when Dan first approached me about editing the film, I'm a really lucky person as a Korean American to have grown up without experiencing much racism or any kind of attacks. When the attacks first came out on the news and the media, like my first thought that came to mind was like, oh, this is probably really rare, you know, mm-hmm. or like. There's only a sub segment of this. But then, spending some more time interacting with other Asian Americans and diving into the footage, it's like what I realized is within the Asian American population, which is huge, there's so much segmentation and separation of different kinds of bubbles. And I think a lot of the folks who are in the academic or the higher realm or writing these articles or theorizing about activism, things like that, not to discredit their work, but it's not, as Chong says in the film, they don't have much day to day interaction with the folks who are actually seeing the attacks happen.
1: There was a term that stood out for me when I was watching this, I think it was in one of the interviews when someone used the term the predatory inclusion. And that really stood out for me because I've never heard that word before. And it was in the context that if you're taking a look at API, there's this sudden politicization around us in the past few years. As in like, we were invisible, model minority invisible. And then out of nowhere, it was like, here, let's create a lot of things. And then now I'm just not hearing anything about it anymore. I'm curious, what is your take on that idea of predatory inclusion? (laughs) I see Dan's got a big smile there. I'll say what
0: I think my inklings on that term are, obviously I don't speak for Ron, who was talking in the film, it's almost like this thing of, hey, you've been excluded in the past as a group. We're now letting you come into this space, whether it be a political space or a different kind of space. And now, because you're in this space, do this and this and act this in this way because we're letting you in. And I think a way to get out of that mindset is if you have strong ties within your own community, if you are proud of your own community, if you feel like you guys have a strong identity, then you can go into another space and say, hey, I already know who I am. I know what I'm looking for. I know where I align with you and I know where I disagree with you and you get to dictate things more on your own terms I feel like predatory inclusion is like keeping you in the mindset of you're lucky to be here Mm. because you're here think these thoughts act this way if you keep doing the right thing maybe we'll move you up you were talking about the bamboo ceiling before we started recording I think some of that is if you keep listening to what they tell you about like why you're here what you're good at what you deserve how you should move this way or that way then I think that contributes to the idea of a glass ceiling or a bamboo ceiling or any of that. And I think the way to counteract that is to build strong ties between yourself, the people around you, whether they're Asian or otherwise, just strong ties with your people. And with that mindset, you don't walk into any space and say, oh, thank you for having me. You're including me. Now, what can I do for you? To see it more as an equal exchange. Let's help each other from a place of power rather than a place of subservience, I would say.
2: Somehow there's a tendency to try to operate well within the system versus realizing the power that we have to like create our own
1: system. I love that word create because that is the core of it, right? It is stepping into the idea of we don't have to wait for someone to offer a seat at their table for us to then find belonging, but rather to say, No, like this is, we're going to take matters in our own hands. And if this is what makes sense for what our people need, then stepping more into that. How did you guys come to meet these people? Like, where was that? Who first found and heard about this and decided, hey, we need to put these guys on film?
0: As Millie was saying, like, there's a podcast called Escape from Plan A, and they talk about media, politics public safety, all issues that you could talk about as far as being Asian American. That was kind of like the first point of contact. They talked to them. They were getting the message of DC out. And then I had learned that they were looking, Plan A was looking for a some kind of project to do. They have a fair amount of Patreon supporters very fortunately and so there was some funding that could be accessed to create a film project and I think I heard that episode I would read the articles about DC and I just asked them like hey would you potentially be interested in a documentary about these folks and the larger theme being Asian Americans taking charge of their own fundamental right to safety and walk in the streets mm. of their city and conversations organically developed we got put in touch with DC we asked them if they were interested and it all just naturally the ball started rolling from there
1: I'm really curious to hear this is that when you guys started making this and i don't know if you guys felt this i know i've talked to people creators writers filmmakers who when they sing asian american focused content there's a little bit of this hesitance into stepping into the claiming of that and dc certainly there's already this kind of politicization around it was there any kind of hesitancy or challenge into saying you know what we're going to make a film about this because it represents us. Was there any concerns about pushback or anything like that? I think it's a fair question for
0: sure. I think we've all, anyone, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we've all grappled with that idea of, Hey, will this be good for Asian Americans? Are we representing each other correctly? But I do think like real honesty and real liberation comes from the idea of anything you put out doesn't have to represent everyone. In mm-hmm. fact, you should embrace the possibility of being wrong or being challenged, I would say, and being okay with disagreements and discussion. Like I think we do wanna make a film that has a different point of view. B, provokes people into having conversations and C, invites disagreement if you happen to disagree. I think... Think that is something that is more exciting and more interesting than making something that no one will be offended by, but also mm-hmm. no one will really think about because just slipped away from their mind as soon as they finished watching it and so i think from minute one there was always the intention of hey let's talk about something that we don't feel like is being talked about or being elevated in film or media
1: okay that was one of those moments that i think is so critical especially as creators i know so many creators who are afraid to put their work out there because they're afraid of that attack because they're afraid of being quote-unquote controversial or creating that and what i'm hearing here is that no embrace it because what is going to last is what some people might see as controversial and when you create conversation to create something worth creating
0: yeah and then also, uh, personally, I do not claim any ownership over Asian Americans as a whole. I don't think the film purports to speak on them as a whole. I think it's mm-hmm. almost more just, like, hey, look at these people. Yeah. Hear what they're doing. Listen to what they're saying. And that's all we're saying. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't think it should be anyone, any Asian American person's responsibility to have to speak or represent their people entirely. I think that's ridiculous. And we don't ask that of other people. So I don't think it's fair to ask that of ourselves either.
1: You're absolutely right. Like, that's not ever been the expectation. We're sharing stories and Asian Americans that even the term these days have such a flexible identity, including South Asians. You know, we start taking a look at what even categorizes Asians, who claims that identity. It's a complicated topic. So what would you say to somebody, let's say a few years behind, and you guys have created various works that have been featured and have these accolades. What would you say to somebody who's starting up in that? And there's a little bit more trepidation and fear.
2: I feel like the best advice I could give to my own younger self would be like, don't try to be liked by others double down even more on exactly who you are regardless of if it's polarizing or people don't like you because in that sense you're going to attract over time the people that resonate and also you're not going to have to try to like uphold this image which takes so much energy and so if you follow your curiosity if you speak in your own voice if you are exactly who you are over time it just ends up leading you exactly where you're meant to be versus this idea of where you think you should be which is the grass is never greener on the other side which I think is a lesson that I've repeatedly learned in my life. And you feel an authenticity there when you feel the love that someone has for their craft and the real core heart of them coming out which can't be replicated by the way the more you're yourself the more people cannot replicate that and that differentiates you from all the other folks out there as well so Mm -hmm. i think there's enough people trying to get a lot of views i think there's enough people trying to be famous and big and stuff i think we need more people who are being authentic that's an overused term but truly just
1: radically being themselves i don't think that authenticity is an overstated thing i think that the way you put it is true which is create what feels right for you and then the right people will come find you rather than trying to please everyone and make something that's completely not memorable. I think that is an important piece. Millie. What would you tell either somebody starting off a few years ago or you're meeting yourself five years ago? It's
3: hard. Like everyone, everyone's so different, but well, we all come to, as film makers, we, I know that I came to film very late in life. I went to school with people who were kids who had a camera, like the whole kind of like archetypal story of, oh, my dad gave me a camera when I was seven and I've been making films ever since. I was not one of those people. I made my first film when I was 30, which is relatively late, but there are advantages that come with that because when I started filmmaking, I was ready. I was ready to really like focus. And I had a certain amount of professional experience working. Mm -hmm. Like I had a career in advertising.
1: Did you feel like your career in advertising gave you a different perspective or did it help you in some way in that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. There's so much that you learn about being a person in the professional world, just by having been working in jobs that you may have hated, for example, but that experience is invaluable. You're coming to any sort of new, Practice. But in any case, I would just say, like, whatever it is you want to try, just go for it. If you're like me, you're someone who will overthink every possible <laughs> decision, creative or logistic or, or otherwise. And I think it's important just to say, I'm just going to try this because I have this idea and I'm going to go for it. It's really important to learn to love the process. Filmmaking is so process oriented and process driven. Mm. Like at every given point, to make any sort of film, it's going to be an investment of time.
1: For a film like like what you guys have just made here how long is that actual process we started working on pre-production in what
3: november dan yeah
0: like maybe our initial conversation was like late october early november Mm -hmm. and then filming was like five or six days in early december
3: ending of december yep and then we brought ian on to
0: cut like late december you joined ian but then it wasn't like full-on day-to-day, every day, every week. It was like in between your other work obligations and your life obligations. Because again, it's a short documentary. It's not, it doesn't have a huge budget. Like no one's capitalizing off of this film. And so you do have to fit it in between your other work and your life stuff. Ended up taking a few months, but not a few months of editing. (laughs) I remember right after shooting, Dan was like, Dan and I were both like, hey man, we don't want to sit on this
2: too long. Let's just bang it out and get it done in January. (laughs) And then it always takes longer than you expect. But we've done, I think, three or four cuts or so. And a lot of it has been honing in with a lot of the footage and getting our own collective feedback. And that process has on and off. Yeah. Not full-time hours, but on and off, I think, since January. So maybe three, four months or so. Yeah. How many days
0: or weeks would you estimate, Ian? If like, we went all in, on it?
2: I feel like if we went all in, had no other projects, like, we could have probably done it in a month, I think. Yeah. So four I weeks. Feel. Of yeah, I think so. Ish.
3: Yeah, exactly. But this is a passion project for all of us. We all have other work going on. So... That's why it's Mm -hmm. taken us through May to almost complete the film. And I would say I'm impressed that we've even been able to get... It could have taken much longer for us to even get to this point.
1: That's true.
3: We've made a ton of progress in a short period of time.
1: What was the hardest part of making a film like this?
3: I have to hand it to documentarians like Dan and certainly to Ian as the editor. Documentary has its special Mm rigors because it's not like we're on a typical scripted project where you have a script, you know what the story is, so that's from a narrative standpoint you typically know what's up we went into it knowing that the dc was going to be our subject Mm -hmm. but we also knew that we'd be interviewing a lot of members of the group and we didn't necessarily know what the flow of the narrative of the finished piece would be like who the characters would
1: be who you'd see on screen so that's an interesting thing i never thought of that because when you start making a film you have no idea how it's going to end in the terms of will the subjects say the things that you expect them to say how will that come off or were there any kind of surprises that showed up along the way as you were making it either from the subjects or from what you discovered about the story
3: for something to be surprising there would have to have been an expectation mm. that would be either affirmed or undermined and i think for doc like you don't really know what you're going to get that's mm. one of the hardest aspects of it oh,
2: just i'll just gonna say i'll just add on to when dan was explaining the project to me in the shoot it was like It sounded like you guys went there just to talk to a shit ton of people. And then everyone was like,
1: you should talk that. Let's go over there. Go over there.
2: Oh, dude, we should film. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And then you get these Hispanic guys on the left, like shouting this black woman approaching. us. like, you can't film here. Like just everything. There's so much on the cutting room floor of the craziness of New York that's not in the film. But it was just like four or five dense, just days of just absolute, just chaos. It's not not to make it sound like unorganized, because I don't think that's what it was. But just a lot of activity. Openness. Yeah. Just talking to everyone and then honing it into, okay, what's like the through line essence that all these people can unify and speak to, which is in the edit process. So yeah, that's, exactly. that's a lot of the fun of it.
1: Yeah, because when I was watching the clips, there was a lot of chaos going on in the background. I think there were some parts where you're interviewing someone walking down the subway and there's people screaming and yelling in the background. And I'm just trying to make sense of all this. It's such an interesting thing. In all of your bios, we talk about soulful stories and the inner lives of women and the outsiders. My first question was, how did you guys all, end up deciding to take that path in your own filmmaking journey. Millie, you're coming from an advertising perspective. I don't usually see Asian Americans who decided I'm going to go into corporate and go that path, which is what my parents probably would have expected me to go down. And then one day and being like, you know what? I'm quitting my job and going into telling these stories. Where was that exploration coming from for you?
3: Good question. I would say that I see it as the opposite, like that corporate, it, it interrupted my creative life, my artistic life, because when I was a kid, you know, I always wanted to be an artist. My dream job technically would have been like to be an actor, maybe. That was what I wanted to be when I was a kid. I feel like I was exposed to a lot, a lot of different types of people from different walks of life, doing different kinds of things.
1: Did your parents support you in going to film and the creative? Not at all.
3: They're immigrants. They really just wanted me to do something normal and stable, be a doctor or a law. Sport. Since I was a good writer, they figured, okay, great, she can be a lawyer. My parents were not supportive of the whole artistic. Yeah. Path. They told me, if you really want to be an actor or do a creative thing, you can maybe do it after you go to college. Right.
1: Maybe grad. That was great. I loved it. So Ian, <laughs> your background was in you work for Jubilee and everything like that. First and foremost, what was it like working at Jubilee and producing all their content? More than a billion views. you guys. That's a B. That's a big <laughs> number.
2: No, I actually had a background in advertising like Millie did, not in the corporate sense, but I made advertisements and I edited advertisements and directed them. Yeah. And I just felt like it wasn't connected to a community because we'd be making these things and hand it off to an agency and it go to this place where I don't know who's watching this there's just no connection with Mm -hmm. the final viewer and the reason I joined Jubilee is because I thought we could have our own audience and we could serve them and create our own community and so in that sense it was incredibly fun it blew up like beyond I think what I had expected in the beginning and like just being a part of a startup of a small group of people punching above their weight day to day just coming and be like we're gonna change the world and bring all these people together and revolutionize humanity it's like the we're all in our mid early 20s or something like that and gung-ho and so I think it was a blast in that sense and Dan was there for the whole ride we were able to have a lot of fun doing that at Jubilee so it was perfect for that time in my life and I loved
1: it. I 100% do agree that if Jesus was alive today, he'd be an influencer without question. He'd be yeah. on YouTube. He'd have a YouTube following. He'd, yeah. He'd he'd be on TikTok. Oh, yeah. He'd be telling stories and people be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some of the stuff he was talking about is highly controversial. That comes down oh, totally. to, to Dan's point, right? Don't hide from the controversy, embrace the controversy. Dan, you were nodding along a lot during this whole part of the story. Were you part of the Jubilee creative process as well, early stage? Early
0: stage. I think I joined Jubilee as a director in Mm. 2018. I think the subscriber count was around 500k at that point and yeah like over the years Ian was creative directing we were like slowly bringing people onto the team team went from like, five full-timers to like eventually now I think it's like, 30 something like that and going from like, half a million subscribers to six seven million now I think it's like nearing eight million I think what Ian's saying is like, what was really fun was it felt like there was no parents that no parent energy like when you're doing I'm sure ads or you're doing movies for a studio like there is kind of this like, hey we're making this thing there's a lot of investment so like, this is what you're beholden to but but our prerogative from Jason, our friend, who's the CEO of Jubilee, he was just, look, here are our North Stars. It's empathy, it's connection, it's inspiring conversations, it's challenging mm. people's views. Mm. That's the umbrella. Now go out and create something that fits under that. And so putting our heads together in rooms, trying to figure out how we would even structure something like that, coming up with new concepts putting them out there into the world and then getting like you post it. And then that afternoon, you're seeing like a million views pop up. You're like, holy crap, what did we make? And such a fun time, hmm. such a huge moment, I think, in our careers and our like personal development as people. I will say, speaking about asian Americanness and bamboo ceiling, anything like that, you know, Jubilee is a diverse company. Like everyone's there. Everyone's a lot of people are represented. I will say it did feel different being at a place and I've been at a few different companies. It was different being at a place with Asian leadership, Mm -hmm. primarily, at least when I was there. It's something that you just feel. It's like when you, I don't know if you have this experience, but when you go to where your parents are from or your ancestors are from, like you walk around the street and you can take race off of one of your defining factors. And now you're like a short guy or a tall woman or a guy that dresses like this or a person that like walks like this instead of having that racial defining characteristic and i definitely felt that at jubilee like you can say whatever you want you can act however you want and it's not even like you weren't doing that before but there's just something a little different about it that i did feel was very empowering and it was almost like you realize you had been working with like maybe a 20 pound vest on yourself and now the vest is taken off and you're like way more nimble. You're way more quick. You're way more maneuverable. Like it's actually a very interesting thing to be a part of. And when you see
1: 20 pound vest, what is that 20 pound vest? What do you think that would be? Yeah, I would
0: love to try to articulate it if you're in a space that you feel like your race is some kind of deviation from the norm, Mm -hmm. I do feel like there is some sense of either, this is how I felt about it as a young person, was Mm -hmm. either I have to try to find some way to fit in Mm -hmm. to the norm, Mm -hmm. or I got to embrace that outsider identity and, do something rebellious or contradictory. But it was like, always make your decision. Here's your decision tree. Try to fit in or try to go ball out. And what was interesting was when that was taken away, Mm -hmm. it's like anything you say or do, now does not need to be like either fit in or go out. It was just like, that's not even a part of it. Just make your Mm. decision based on anything else. Um, Mm. And I think maybe that's what I'm trying to articulate with the 20 pound vest thing is it's not even saying that like when you're around people that aren't like you, it's a bad thing or they hate you or they don't like you. It's more just like my decision-making became different. My mindset became different.
1: I hear this a lot from a lot of Asian Americans. That's strange thing, right? Like I feel like the only way I've ever tried to process is that we have an invisible experience in that it's not like what black people or let's say Latinos experience that might be quite different as an experience in the sense that we are oftentimes compared to white people right we're called the invisible minority we've been labeled as such there are school ian i think you're from kansas or uh, dan's from kansas, I'm from kansas. sorry from dan Georgia. Dan, you're from kansas sorry yeah, yeah. my mistake <laughs> No, worries, no worries. but i think there was a school board that basically decided to categorize all asians as part of white because they're just like oh you guys aren't really underprivileged we're going to categorize you the same but yet there is that difference We we do experience this perpetual foreigner syndrome. We do experience that. We do get treated a little bit, very subtly sometimes, and sometimes not so subtly. I've never heard of it described as this, that was perfect description, this 20-pound vest. There is a decision. You either embrace your full Asianness and you just own it or you just try to hide it
0: if i were to flip what you just described as an advantage per se i think it's very interesting being an asian american being able to identify i wouldn't say our experiences are the same as other minority groups but i wouldn't necessarily say that there's no understanding we can come to Mm -hmm. i think we do look different than most people in this country and we share that experience we do as outlined in this film we have had instances brushes with violence we've had experiences with poverty like there's I think an advantage sometimes that I see of being Asian American in the sense that it is an open gate to empathy with anyone you come into encounter with because you have had some flavor some elements of all of their experiences and I like to look at things from that perspective we all obviously are affected by our differences obviously are affected by being a minority but there are so many blessings that are conferred or opportunities i should say opportunities because of our status and because of our identity that i I just i enjoy it i think it's cool i think it allows us to enter spaces i think it allows us to connect with people i like it enjoy it a memory comes to mind where one time amidst the internal team at
2: jubilee one time we were discussing like so what is the jubilee persona you remember that dan if people think of jubilee as a personality of a type of person in high school who would we be and we ended up saying you would be like that guy who gets along with everyone is nice and is like literally nobody dislikes and is pretty intellectual can have all types of conversations
0: <laughs> the guy or probably most likely gal that like <laughs> yeah. can go to any social group and hang out with all of them and hang with the punks hang with the art kids hang with the jocks go with well, the was- anime kids right like you're hopping from culture to culture i'm just
2: thinking of the personalities we had on the team because we were all united by the sense of importance of bringing people to. Together and so I think inherently, I'm not trying to speak for Asian Americans, but inherently, just as human beings, we individually, having maybe had those experiences of separation or whatnot, all of us individually in our own lives, I think, were types of people who got along with, weren't that exclusive, and had experience with all these types of different demographics. In that way, I think it was pretty cool that we all came together like that.
1: As creative director, how did you choose the kind of stories that you guys would go after? It's kind of like the same question that you know we're looking at here, but like, how did you decide? There's no mom and dad. So how did you decide, all right, Dan, go tackle this as a topic and then, you know, see if that does. I would say there was
2: good tension in the company where I was the person who was like, Dan, whatever you're interested in, just go out and make it, man. (laughs) No, whatever you're interested in. And then Jason will be the guy who'll be like, whoa. We got to make sure people <laughs> like this and it's entertaining and it gets used. <laughs> so with that combination, I think it was the intersection of, okay, what is going to be entertaining, accessible and easily understandable to the masses? And then what is our team interested in exploring? Because our team inherently are creative people who want to explore stuff and that makes them really
1: passionate about. Awesome. I love that. It's very much a mom and dad conversation, right? Yeah. 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 Dad we would the like, mom Just and dad, go yeah. out there and just do what you love. <laughs> <laughs> what you love. Pursue your passions, The mom yep. is- put on your seatbelt, guys. Exactly. I
0: actually want to piggyback off of that because I think tension, healthy tension, is like the bedrock of, I think, strong and interesting filmmaking. And I think there is an illusion, perhaps, that we all peddle in culture, which is like a director walks onto set or walks on a location and is a genius and has this fully formed vision. And then it's all about making sure that vision happens exactly the way it's supposed to. And I feel like actually what I find what makes interesting work, and you can see this historically too, like all the cultural touchstones that you love were born out of fire, were born out of tension. And just knowing that like, we're just going to walk right into that because there is something interesting. And to even go back to an earlier thing you asked about like advice, it's not always meant to feel perfect and good. There should be some element of creative and stimulating tension and Mm. conflict in whatever idea you're exploring. You care about something, you should think about it. And you should also think about the thing that is opposing that and really try to clarify that too, because that'll just clarify your own thoughts and feelings even more. And so, yeah, I think that's something that's really important, tension and conflict and, and in a healthy way. I felt that a lot in even the
2: process of making this film, which I appreciate that so much with how we collaborated, because I I really feel like it was the best of all our brains coming together. We had no idea in the beginning, like what this film would be. And then by the end, it was a culmination of all the best ideas, which is a mark of a satisfying collaboration, I feel like.
0: Oh, yeah. And there's tension in like the creative process. I remember we were showing cuts and people were like, yo, like, I'm not feeling this part. I'm not feeling this part at all. And we we're like, okay, that's fine. Like, what is that eliciting? And, and what can we do about it? And do we like that? Are we not like that? It's all been helpful. And part of growing into filmmaking is like realizing that it's part of the process. It's not wrong. It's not going off the rails. In fact, it should feel like this. It should feel like there's real forces at play here. And you just do your best to navigate them and manage them.
3: Yes, and Dan, at one point you said something that kind of got burned into my brain in a good way. We were talking about how important it is to keep the faith mm-hmm. throughout the process. As difficult as it gets, as lost as one may feel when you're not sure what's going on. There's always this kind of like dark moment of the soul thing when you're working on a film. There may be multiple dark moments, <laughs> to be honest, when you're writing, when you're shooting, certainly in post, where you're just not, you feel like you've lost the thread and you're not really sure what to do next. And the important thing is to keep keep the faith you know to know that you will find your way out of it you can lean on your collaborators and at, and at some point a solution will become apparent and just have to push through to get to that point and not be overly concerned about the fact that it feels like a problem at the moment
0: yeah mm-hmm. you own it you own it just to bring it back to DC it's like they saw a problem and they did something about it and i don't think they would pretend to think that oh we've now solved the problem of violence mm-hmm. we've now fixed how asian americans are seen or treated but like they're just doing what they can and I I think that's all we can do. And so when we're working on a film, the problems come and you just do what you can and then you finish it and you put it out in the world. And I just read like this humbling interview with Martin Scorsese talking at the age of eighty. And he was saying that he's just starting to understand what movies are and he's like there's no time. There's no time. I'm just starting to understand <laughs> what movies are, and there's no time. And I'm like, and he was saying that about Kurosawa, Akira Kurosawa wow. was saying that about his own life. And I'm just like, we should all have that mindset. of there's so much more to learn. I'm just here to do my best and add my contribution to the world but we're not going to be perfect and I don't think we should have that expectation. I'll drop one
2: quote that I read somewhere. I don't know who said this, but it goes, Mastery is the art of skillfully avoiding conclusions. Oh, isn't that that's so, so good. <laughs> isn't that so oh, good? <laughs> <man>. <laughs> Enjoy yes. the process. Enjoy the process. Oh, there are a lot right. of levels there.
0: Fascinating.
1: Yeah. yeah think yeah. about that. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's out there. We're talking about like how like a masterpiece is never completed because mm. you're going to keep growing. And every time you grow, you're going to come back and you want to refine. To refine it. What you guys just shared was actually answering one of the questions I was going to ask, which is you guys all produce impressive, incredible content. Some of your pieces have been viewed millions and millions of times. My question was going to be like, what's the secret? And I felt, Dan, your answer of finding the tension, like that really hit home for me. What are your thoughts, Millie and Ian?
3: It's important to learn to enjoy the process. Good artists, really, they are very process oriented. They're willing to try different things, to experiment, to make mistakes. I think that's really important and to not get stressed about it and to not get caught in the whole perfectionism track.
0: You only get to call yourself an artist or a creative if you finish things. And all of your favorite movies and books have all these mistakes in them. And at yeah. this point, Love them so much that the mistakes are part of what make them good. And so I think what Millie's saying is spot on is like, oftentimes, like the result is how you formulate a process. And then all the best shit we have that we've seen in our culture is chock full of mistakes and discoveries. And so just Mm -hmm. knowing that and embodying that.
1: I heard a quote earlier I think it was on like Reddit or something like that and somebody posted that anything worth doing is also worth doing poorly because it's the opposite of what you usually expect which is anything worth doing is worth doing well but it's like, you no know, we get caught in the perfectionism it's like, if you're going to do it it's okay to sometimes make mistakes mm-hmm. I'm going to pass the mic finally over to Ian here cuz I want to hear Oh man your, there's so much golden ruler.
2: good like gold I was trying to catch in this waterfall I was just thinking like for a moment in my life I was really caught in perfectionism and trying to make the best work or like the work that would be the most whatever and I found that over time it became very paralyzing because there was only one solution or only the best way but what has been really freeing I think in the past couple months especially has been just reminding myself that I know what I know and I can only move from there and there is no right answer there is no best and there's a Mm. quote that my friend shared with me that has been really freeing and it has been nothing is more important than anything else that has been so freeing for me because we all have this programming of this hierarchy of what might be more valuable or more better or whatever, but it's like the way we approach ourselves and our self-worth. If we feel like we have to do something in order to gain value, we're never gonna satisfy that itch. But if you know that you are totally valuable as you are without doing anything, it frees you to do what you want to do. And that in turn, I think frees other people as well. So,
1: I want to bring it out. I usually have two final takeaway questions, which is what's your golden rule or golden rules? If you have any, to be honest, I felt like you guys dropped so many. So I'll just throw it out here. Do you guys have anything? And then finally is if not, do you have a question that you wish people would ask you more often? So there's something you could share about it? I think just... it's
3: so important to go where the good people are. As I've gotten older, I found that I'm often on the same wavelength as other Asians. You know how like at the end of a yoga class, the teacher will sometimes say the light in me sees the light in you. My version of that is the dark in me sees the dark in you. Wow. There's a certain kind of recognition that you have with people that you meet sometimes. And I think when that happens, you try to be friends with these people and you try to continue to work with them as much as you can.
2: First thing that came to mind, John, as you're asking the question, like golden rule, like literally I thought of the golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be treated is I think there's this word, I don't know if it's a real or fake word, but song. It's like when you look out of the car or the bus or the street and you see all these people living their lives It's like the feeling of realizing like each one of these people has like just as deep and nuanced and visceral and expansive of a consciousness as you do And they're not NPCs in a video game like they're real people living their own lives and they're all the main characters And I think I feel that more and more gradually as I get older.
0: Wow let's try and really treat everyone in a way that they're real human beings yeah i think it comes down to finding your people and whether it's a professional thing or just a life thing like find the people that you connect with that is what this is all about that is what i think we're exploring an aspect of it in this film is people finding their people through tragic and violent circumstances but finding their people and community nonetheless i just think that's the most important thing if you find that you have strong ties in your life i find that everything else We'll follow from there.
1: Finally, thank you guys so much. This has been, I think the word was a waterfall of gold. And this is legitimately just been I have endless notes. Thank you guys for your time. How do we find out more about I Am Not an Activist? Where can we go watch it? When does it come out? All that. So it's forthcoming
0: when it comes out. We're still finishing it. It's color, sound mixing, final music tweaks and all that. And my hope is that we can talk to y'all about scheduling this podcast so that when it does come out, we can like put a link to it where there's like show notes or something. And then people can just go follow that link straight to the film.
1: Perfect. Yeah. We'll definitely do that. And then we'll also promote it on all our other platforms and everything like that. In the meantime, is there anywhere you guys want people to go to or follow you guys, Instagram? We have the links you guys sent. So we'll put that in the show notes. But is there anywhere else that you guys want me to do a call out to?
3: I will admit I went on to Instagram to see if I am not an activist was taken. It is not. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, let's get that.
1: i starting to wonder <laughs> if maybe I should
3: start an Instagram. We don't have one yet.
1: For all you guys listeners at home, Please go and follow Ian, Millie, and Dan. We'll make sure that their Instagrams, websites, all the links are in the show notes. And when the film comes out, which should be at the same around the same time that this episode comes out, we'll make sure that the link is in there as well. Thank you guys so much for your time and your wisdom. It has been an absolute pleasure having you here. As Asian Americans, we are as strong as our collective community. So if there's something that you found valuable in this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media. And if you like the show, leave us a review and send us a screenshot and you might win some Big Asian Energy merch, which we give out every month. So you can go out there and own your Big Asian Energy.